You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2 once again, maybe your Bible's starting to go there kind of on its own. I don't know yet as we've been in 1 Samuel. We're not maybe long enough yet, but... 1 Samuel 2. On your way there, a couple things. One is just really appreciate Calise putting together this church directory. If you don't have a mailbox, talk to Mel, but hopefully you have one. There's extras out there. Can I just encourage you, what you have here is not just phone numbers and emails. You have your own prayer guide. So it could be called church directory slash Bethany prayer guide. And I just encourage you, take a page, maybe a page a day. Set it next to your Bible. Um, Take an extra copy, we'll, we can make more, and use it as a prayer guide. You've got, you've got birthdays, you've got children listed in here, there's plenty of space at the back to write other people in there, but use it as a prayer guide, uh, as a help to you. So I wanted to encourage you that way. And then as we get into 1 Samuel 2, we're going to be in verse 11 and following. I've got a picture from last week, one from Malachi. Malachi said he's been working on this a couple weeks. Really appreciate it, Malachi. This is great. Let's take a look at that. There's some detail there. Eli is over at the, maybe near the post, maybe near the entrance of the the temple or tabernacle, and here is Hannah uh, in prayer, weeping before the Lord, praying. No children as of yet for this picture, uh, but he would come, Samuel. God would provide Samuel. Last week, she brought Samuel uh, back and then last week actually we looked at her her prayer to the Lord and now this week the story kind of can, continues on so thank you for that Malachi other kids if you're drawing please draw this out if you if that's a way for you to take notes draw it put your little name on there hand it to me and just feel free if I'm talking to somebody just put it in my hand and, and uh, I'll take it from there but I appreciate that all right well let's come to God's word then Let's start in verse 11. We're just tail end Hannah's prayer, but verse 11 takes us into the rest, and I'm going to read through verse 21 here for this morning. It says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. 
and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Let's again go to the Lord. Father, we just again come to you and pray as we come into your word, into the lives of these young men of sons of Eli and this young man Samuel, and consider what you have before us, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and training, rebuke, training in righteousness. So train us today by your word, and again, may your spirit work through these verses in particular, for those that have gathered today. Lord, guide us to see You. Guide us to see sin for what it is. Guide us to see hope in You. And just lead us along as we look at this, this particular section today. We pray for Your help. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, near the end of Joshua, remember Joshua from the book of Joshua and, and before, but the, near the end of Joshua's life, he challenges Israel with something. You might remember these familiar words in Joshua 24. He challenges Israel. He says, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And again, those might be familiar words to you. Maybe you've seen them on a Christian painting or artwork or something like that. But I think they have relevance for our passage today and our text. Because before us are two young men whose task is to serve the Lord, but they don't really know Him and they're sinning greatly. And there's a contrast here to another young man who is growing in the Lord. And so there's a flicker of this hope, there's a a glimmer of hope amidst a very wayward priesthood in this time. Let's come back to our text, look at verse 11 as kind of a transition verse where Elkanah went home to Ramah and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. And So there's kind of a transition going on here, Elkanah and his family, they head home while the boy stays in Shiloh and It's this designation of Samuel as the boy or the young, you could say young lad, young boy that the writer sets up here. And so so here's Elkanah family. They head off into the distance as we watch this play out. There they go back home. And now we turn to Samuel in this picture of him. Again, we're not told his his age, but the term here is, is boy. Maybe you've got in your translation uh, maybe you have young man, I think mostly it's boy, youth, um, young boy. And he's ministering, he's serving the Lord. Even as little or as young, again, how young, how old, not for sure, but he's young, Samuel has a calling and a task here. Uh, one commentary notes the language here. The language here is used to denote the duties, that this ministering, serving the Lord, Duties performed both by priests and Levites 
in connection with the worship of God, in which Samuel took part as he grew up under the superintendence of Eli and according to his instructions. So here's Samuel growing up and already ministering, serving the Lord as a boy. And just one application comes as we just think on this briefly of Samuel and how little he is. I want to speak to you young men. You are considered a boy. And for that matter, young women or girls among us. You may not be called right now to teach or to serve in official roles in the church. You feel like that's for all the older people. That's what they do. They serve in the official ways and and do these things. But no matter the age, this is a place for you to serve also by way of application. Maybe, Maybe it's in the music and maybe you're particularly talented in that area. And it's time to continue to practice that one day you can play and you can help us out. Or maybe it's quite simply, you're right there, young boys, young girls, and you can join and sing with us. This is not an uh, adult-only song time or worship time. It's for you, no matter the age. You can be three, four, and five, and if you can sing some note, sing out and minister. Uh, You minister to us through like a picture we just saw of reviewing. It ministers to us to see there's all ages here that are learning. You can minister to different friends that you see, visitors we have, or your own friends or your own group that you look and go, how come nobody's playing with so-and-so? And there's ministry to come alongside. Or, or some visitor comes and their kids just don't know what to do here. And you go look them up. There's, so you get kind of what I'm saying. There's ministry, fellow believers who are young men, young girls. There's ministry here. Don't wait until you're older to minister to the body of Christ Again, it might look different, but pursue that. A little application there. Just thinking of Samuel here. So here's Samuel. He's ministering to the Lord. And then we come to verse 12 and some other boys. There's Samuel and now some other boys here. Verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. If you're reading from an NASB, it calls these sons, I believe it calls them useless It's about the same as worthless, not far from it, is it? Literally, if you translated it literally, Eli's sons were sons of Belial. That's if you did kind of a literal sons of Belial. It's a term actually Paul uses in the New Testament uh, and seems to use it there in reference to Satan himself. But in the Old Testament, we've got this idea of worthless, worthless Men here in Deuteronomy 13, it's worthless fellows. It's just kind of the same thing. If you remember back to Judges, it's a while ago now, but Judges chapter 19 through 20, the man and the concubine that went to, I believe it's Gibeah, and they spent the night. Remember that kind of that terrible story, and I won't get into all the details. But there it says this. It says, the men of the city, worthless fellows or sons of Belial, surrounded the house, beating on the door, and they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. These were worthless fellows. But even closer here, just kind of in the chapter before, chapter 1, verse 16, Hannah herself pleads with Eli. Remember, she's, she's at the tabernacle, at the temple, she's praying, and Eli looks at her and, go, and, and she says, no, don't. Eli, um, she says, don't call me a a worthless woman, or you could translate it, don't call me a daughter of Belial. 
Don't, don't look at me as worthless. And yet the Bible points here to these sons that are worthless. And so coming back to Eli's sons, Dale Ralph Davis writes this. And connect this to the prayer we just studied last week. He says, Hannah's prayer has just alluded to the arrogant, the mighty, the wicked, those who contend with Yahweh, and here they are. Not as expected Canaanites or Philistines, but the priests of Israel. Is that not a cutting comment here? Here's the people that Hannah has just prayed about. Davis points out, here they are. And we're not talking about Canaanites or Philistines. We're talking about priests of the Lord. And I appreciate him bringing that out. But what is it exactly that made them worthless? What made them useless or these um, of Satan here? How far off track were they? Or why were they so off track? And I think that's verse 12 answers that with the phrase, they did not know the Lord. They did not know Lord. The Lord. And we're beyond they didn't know about God. The overarching problem here is their relationship to God Himself. They didn't know Him. Not just that they didn't know about Him. They were priests. They knew about Him. But they didn't know Him. They didn't know Him as their God, as their covenant Lord, really as their true King because their actions show they don't know this God. Which brought to mind a book. <laughs> I think, uh, start thinking, knowing God, knowing God. Oh, yeah, there's this book uh, by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. I don't know if you've read it. I've used it. We talked about it at Christmas time one year. It's a classic, and it's a wonderful book. And I actually brought up here three copies just in case you go, you know, he keeps talking about that book. I should read that. You're welcome to borrow these. Uh, youth, I stole one from your room downstairs, so make sure you bring, you know, bring these back. But read it because it's good, because it talks about this. Do we know God or do we know the Lord? In it, Packer makes, J.I. Packer makes these two statements. Number one, he says, One can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of Him. And he explains again, there's a difference between knowing all about theology and apologetics apologetics and Christian history, which are good to know. Don't hear me throwing those out. And he talks about even being able to find our way around the Scriptures. Do you know all the books of the Bible? Do you know where to find so-and-so? Great. But he says all very, he says this, quote, all very fine, yet interest in theology and knowledge about God and the capacity to think clearly and talk well on Christian themes is not at all the same thing as knowing Him. Secondly, he says, one can know a great deal about godliness without much knowledge of God. And so he, he says this in terms of godliness. He says that it is, quote, possible to learn a great deal secondhand about the practice of Christianity, yet one can have all this and hardly know God at all. And here, in 1 Samuel 2, we have a stark example of those who they quote-unquote knew God. Right? If we were around, we would look to them. Who knows God around here? Well, it's got to be the priests. Our text says no, they didn't know the Lord. They were supposed to, and yet really in terms of a worshiper who lived on the far side of the promised land, 
they themselves were much further away, these two sons of Eli, than those who lived far away. So verses 13 then through 16 give us, I think, two examples of their wickedness and sin. Two examples here. The first, verses 13 and 14. Let me just read it. We won't go in-depth here, but 13 and 14. says, the custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up that uh, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Though they're they're called here in the ESV the priest's servant. I take these to be Eli's sons. It's, it's literally the young man, or it's the same word for Samuel, boy. I think it's Na'ar. So Samuel's a boy, and then it's the Na'ar of the priest. I think the Kohen, the priest. And so I take these to be the sons of Eli, if not closely connected or in charge of them, but I think it's these boys. And they would come. I don't like it, what it says. It's pretty clear that while the meat's boiling, take the fork, put it in, and, and take whatever came out. And our question, we don't know all this. Was that okay? Was that wrong? They shouldn't, have, they shouldn't have taken the fork. What shouldn't they have been doing? And we may not be studied, well studied in all the details of sacrifice, but there's a couple places like Deuteronomy 18 and Leviticus 7 that give parameters for what types and what sides and cuts, really, the priest can take what's for them. They were to be given some of the meat of the sacrifice. It was a provision for them. Things like the breast or the right thigh or the shoulder. So certain portions were, were theirs, but it's not whatever. It's not, it's not take a fork, take whatever you want. There were certain categories, certain parts. And so all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for him Self, and I think that sums it up. It's self. Himself. Their desires, their, their appetite. I think one talked about a, a, a different cut of meat. That's what ruled. His own heart ruled instead of God's rule. Look at the second example in verses 15 through 16. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, no you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. You've got the word moreover here in verse 15, or also. The fork thing. That was bad. And, and here too, the, the demanding of the raw meat, it would seem, maybe the taking the fat. That's also Leviticus 3.16 talks about all fat is the Lord's. That was not for the priest to take. And, and again, we're not, we don't understand all the, the ins and outs and why was this so bad and the law and the system, but I don't think we have to because we see the ones bringing the sacrifice knew this wasn't the right thing to do. They knew what was right, and they questioned the practice. But by an abuse of their authority, these sons of Eli, I think Hophni and Phinehas here, they demanded what was to be given. If not, I'm going to take it by force. You do this thing. And their, their authority took precedence. And so you've got worthless men who take for themselves and who abuse 
their authority. And so verse 17 kind of almost sums it up for us. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Their sin was great. And it's not just a sin against people, is it? Their sin in the sight of the Lord. Sin is ultimately against God. They knew better. They were not uninformed. But they were making a mockery of the sacrifice that was here. Matthew Henry writes this. He says, They they profaned the offerings of the Lord and made a gain to themselves, or rather a gratification of their own luxury out of them. God had provided competently for them, kind of maybe some older English, God had provided competently for them out of the sacrifices. The offerings of the Lord made by fire were a considerable branch of their revenue, but not enough to please them. They served not the God of Israel, but their own bellies. And there is their sin. They were priests called by God to intercede before God on behalf of the people, but they forgot or they abandoned their call and their mission. They forgot the Lord's holiness. They treated something sacred as just, just a means to feel, uh, fill the, the belly or, or as we're going to see next week, to gratify their sinful flesh. And so I think briefly, two lessons emerge here. One, there's a lesson for leadership, even in the church. For we who shepherd, we who lead in the church in a pastoral role, which elders, and as your pastor here, a fellow elder, we we don't have the sacrificial system of bulls and goats. We don't have animals lined up. That was taken care of by Christ on the cross, the all-sufficient one-time sacrifice. We don't really intercede for the people like Christ does and the Holy Spirit does. And yet we who are in leadership, we bear great responsibility. How do we, we just took an offering this morning. How do we spend what's been given? How do we direct? How do we guide the, 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 the flock of, of God as, as under shepherds? How do we do that? Even more importantly, do we lead Do we elder, do we shepherd, do I pastor with a heart that knows the Lord? I think that's the heart of it. It's where I think the wheels fell off for these two sons. They didn't know the Lord. They lost their foundation. And so I want to say to us as as elders that are here, it's kind of this the sermon just got very narrow (laughs) a little bit. But as a pastor, preaching to myself and, and, and any of you that would desire that office to consider this, even this particular account of 1 Samuel, a convicting account that we guard this good deposit, that we, that we grow not to, not to know more just about God and know about these things, but that we truly know the Lord closely, that we love Him, that we hunger and thirst for Him. And then let me broaden out to all of us with some application. Can we not all say and be convicted of that same thing? Do you truly know God? Or you simply just go through the motions of the Christian life? I know when to stand. I know when to sit. I know I pray at this point. I end my prayer this way. I sing this song. Uh, and you need a verse. I got a verse. I got one for that. I got, yep, I know where to go. Kind of that motion 
Or do you know the Lord? Offering your life to Him? Hungering after Him? Maybe you say, I want to be there. I, I, I want that, and I feel so far from that. And just pray. Lord, guide us. Lord, would you help us? And He does that through suffering, circumstances, mundane life. Why is this going on for me? Why is this? He's growing you to know Him. Not just kind of in a vacuum. God is working in our lives. He's gracious that way. I mean, we'll take, we'll take some time at the end to pray about that. Well, it's a sad situation in Shiloh, isn't it? Can you imagine uh, Elkanah and Hannah heading up yearly to worship here in this place with their sacrifices? Yearly they, they come up and, and face, I mean, do they look forward to this? Yes, we want to bring the worship and sacrifice, but it's going to be those two guys again messing around. It's just a wickedness in that place. And yet they do, and they come, and, with, and in this I think we see a glimmer of hope here. Look at verses 18 through 19 then. Where it says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. Verse 19. And his mother, a sweet verse here, his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. First, don't miss the contrast from verse 17. You see 17? Very great sin, treating the offering with contempt. Verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, clothed with a linen ephod. There's a contrast here. And maybe you can picture Hannah sewing away year by year for this little robe, whatever that was. And I was trying to, what's the connection? Little robe, is that the same as the linen ephod? Some would say, I think the robe is what goes underneath, and then you put the linen ephod over it. Um, I tend to have in my mind a picture, which I think it's far, it's far more than this, but a picture of like when I was growing up, maybe you boys can relate. I ordered a, I don't know why a Packers fan would ever order a Cowboys jersey and shoulder pads, but I did. I was in the Cowboys at the time. Thankfully, I found out that the Packers are a far better team to root for. But um, anyway, that's another point. But uh, So I bought, you know, you buy the whole thing, the pads. I mean, you're not on a football team, but you buy the whole thing because you want to be like that. I want to look like that. Or maybe for, for you kids, there's another uniform or a firefighter, pilot, whatever it is, and you kind of want to wear this. I, I picture here, I think it's far greater, but I almost picture Samuel as I'm here, and I've got a duty, and I'm going to minister, and I've got my little robe and my linen ephod, and I'm, God's moving me towards this. I think it's, it's far greater, but I, I just get that picture that's going in here. And so Samuel is all in, while his co-boys, the other boys, are all out. There's a contrast here. And in verse 28, interestingly, verse 28, God's going to speak to Eli And part of the rebuke is how he called Eli's house to, quote, wear an ephod before me. Eli's house was to do this. They were to wear the ephod. But the priesthood was in shambles. And yet here's little Samuel again, his homemade robe, wearing the ephod. So again, Dale Ralph Davis, quite helpful here. He writes of the back and forth 
of Samuel and Eli's sons, and then back to Samuel and back to the sons. And even this goes into chapter 3, we'll see it again. But he comments here, he says, listen carefully, this is helpful to us in our day. He says, these brief Samuel notes are noteworthy. They tell us that Yahweh, who ESV, the Lord, Yahweh, God, the covenant-keeping Lord, is already at work providing for new godly leadership for his people. There are no slogans, no campaigns, no speeches. It is all very quiet. He goes on to say, All Israel suffered under the arrogant, cynical, immoral priesthood, clergy who savored prime cuts, over teaching godliness, who much preferred having a woman in bed than interceding for Yahweh's flock. It must have seemed to many like there was no hope of improvement, no exit from the night. But in the middle of it all, the text keeps whispering. Don't forget Samuel. You see how Samuel is serving. That is Yahweh's manner quietly providing for the next moment, even in the middle of the darkest moments. I appreciate his commentaries and his thoughts. In our world, in an increasingly hostile world to Christianity, a world in rebellion to its creator, I think we need to hear that encouragement today. Two quick thoughts here. Number one, in the the chaos of what we see and what we just watched even in Sunday school this morning, in the chaos, don't forget who, what, chapter 2, 1 through 10, who rules the day and the night, who kills and brings to life. The killing bringing to life is chapter 2, day and night, I think, uh, is from Job somewhere. Don't forget the Lord, again, that Hannah has just prayed about. Don't, we're not far from that. Don't forget Him. He's still the Lord, and He still rules in the midst. He's ruling now. Here in our text, in the midst of a corrupt priesthood of all places and in the midst of a corrupt government or even a world system. That's the Lord. And then number two, don't miss what Davis is talking about here in the quiet. We may not see revival on a massive scale. We we can pray that way. And yet God is at work amongst us, is He not? If you don't see that, pray, Lord, give me some eyes to see this. Because He is. I see Him at work among all of you. He's at work. But it's quiet ways. It's eyes being opened to Him. It's hearts being drawn to Him. And so God is at work in the quiet. Even in the midst, as we see here, of a corrupt priesthood. All right, so verses 20 then and 21, there's a bit of kind of the the rest of the story going on. Let's look at those briefly. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Let me stop there. Samuel here, the, the asked one of the Lord, had been given back to the Lord. But here Eli continues. He blesses Elkanah and Hannah much as he did before for Hannah, with the, sp- the prospect that the Lord would give more children to them. And in fact, by kind of spe- specifically this woman, not any, give you children by this woman. 
And so here, in the, again, the clouded, the wayward days of Eli's tenure of priest, here's Hannah, meek and humble, prayerful, hopeful. And so verse 21 tells us, once again, the Lord who had closed the womb, in terms here, He visited Hannah. He provided for her five more children. And a couple things here. Again, number one, every child is indeed a gift of God. Every one of them. Mom and Dad, they're all a gift from God. Each specific one. Cherish that gift you've been given. If you don't have children or your children are out and there's kids here, cherish the kids that are here as gifts of God. Number two, as Hannah gave back her one to the Lord, so he gives her five more. And I want to ask here, is that always the case? You give one, get back five more? This sounds like a pretty good, okay, I got how to work God out. And there's some prosperity gospel teaching that says if you give and you send in this money, watch it grow and, you, and watch your wealth abound. Well, we want to be careful with just kind of manipulating the Lord. And I'll give, but I hope I get you know, five times the return back. That sort of idea. But I think there's a principle that remains. Paul speaks of, 2 Corinthians 9, speaks of sowing, which I take to mean giving. Sowing bountifully and then reaping bountifully. And God loves a cheerful giver. And so we want to we give. Give with no strings attached. Lord, it's yours. It's His anyway. But, but I think we often, maybe experientially, could you not say when you give, you see God provide uh, in many ways for the one giving. Again, not to manipulate the Lord. Trust Him. Give it away. But we do see that principle at work. Well, we come back. One last mention here of Samuel that I left off um, at the end of verse 21 where it says, and the young man. There it is again. The young man, Samuel, grew in the presence of the Lord. I believe that's the same language there. If I remember right, hopefully we'll look that up. But at this point here, at least with Samuel, it doesn't seem he yet knew the Lord. We've been talking about knowing the Lord. Because you get into chapter 3, verse 7, and it will say there, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. So, I mean, not that yet, but do you see the growing? The growing here of Samuel in the presence of the Lord? Uh, and then the contrast. Again, the contrast, the wickedness, the great sin, the distance from God for Eli's sons. And then here's Samuel ministering, serving the Lord. And now he grew in the presence of the Lord. Has this... They have this idea of the, the presence of the Lord, fellowship in obedience to the Lord, a closeness to the Lord, the back and forth. So those who ought to know the Lord, they don't. But here's one little lad who's growing in the presence of the Lord. And next week we're going to see this contrast again, ultimately, then God's coming judgment on the house of Eli. I hope from... Today's passage, you're, number one, you're encouraged by seeing God's gracious hand to Israel in this young man named Samuel. He's being gracious to them. He's graciously providing for his people, a Samuel, priesthood, a prophet that will grow up again in the midst of darkness coming out of this time of the judges. And that's the same God of today, a God who makes light shine out of darkness. 
I hope today also you realize that without the Savior, Savior, you too are in the same condition as Eli's sons. We can't look and go, yeah, they had that coming, you know. I wouldn't have used a fork. Paul says this in Romans 3.12. All have turned aside. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We don't come today to worship the Lord because we're so good. We come, I think Brandon prayed, we come because we're sinners and we've been saved by His grace. Do you know that grace? Do you know before the Lord you're worthless under His wrath and needing this Savior? Come to Him today. It's why we need Jesus. But then I also hope that you and I come away with a godly conviction in terms of knowing the Lord, that simply knowing about God, simply going through the motions of the Christian life, that that would begin to just taste bitter to us. I'm just tired of going through this and kind of faking it and kind of saying the right things. I want to know the Lord and that God himself would provide just a deepening hunger to know him. Again, like I said, I've got the, the books here. Feel free. Can I, hey, can I borrow that and read it? Yes, go read it. Enjoy that. But even more so, be in the book, the book of the Lord, the Bible. And so let me ask today, just to close, in your Christian life, do you know the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in this admonition, I think, that comes clearly from the text. They did not know the Lord. Their lives are worthless. Any offering was contemptible, was despised because they didn't bow, they didn't know you. So Lord, I pray for those amongst us and I hope it's each one of us that say, Lord, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that kind of Christian if we, we can even say it that way. But Lord, this must come from you. So we pray, Lord, as we face the week ahead, this last week of February, and what suffering or what circumstances or what providential things you bring our way to grow us to know you, that we would welcome them. That we would not neglect your word where we find life in it, where we find Christ in your word. So may we make adjustments to our schedule, to whatever we need to do to be in your word to know you more. And so we pray for your help in this, your guiding in this, that you would even send along Christian brothers and sisters that, that shape us and sharpen us and refine us to know you. Keep us, Lord, from being a church that goes through the motions and knows the sitting and the standing and doesn't know you. Protect us, guard us, by your grace lead us. And then, Lord, we pray in a hope, a hope that the Savior has come, Jesus has come, that worthless ones, no good like us, would be given grace. That we too could worship you in your presence, reconciled because of the cross of Christ. May we take joy in your salvation. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, 
a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.